Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the Climate Report for Thursday, October 28th, 2021. Broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. following the evening news. Today, there has been an unbelievable amount of chatter regarding climate crisis news, as several of the highest profile oil and gas companies and their enablers were finally called to testify under oath in front of Congress, themselves another high-profile group of enablers, regarding intentional suffocation of climate science and promotion of self-serving disinformation to the detriment of the rest of humanity. Many have likened the appearance today in front of Congress under oath to the downfall of the tobacco industry when executives lied to Congress under oath about what they knew regarding the sales of their damaging products and later paid a price. Today is also the day that Joe Biden left for Europe to be part of the regular rhetorical climate meetings of world political leaders, desperately pitching his now bare-bones climate plan that still doesn't have the needed full support to even pass Congress. The COP226 starts in two days, That's the 26th Conference of Parties, globally gathering thousands of individuals from roughly 200 separate countries of all types, shapes, and sizes, as they have been doing since the 1980s. After listening to science and recognizing that world political leaders and governments are operating under a current plan to phase out humanity, perhaps within 100 years. Not much has happened politically since, other than 25 prior meetings now, to discuss tapering back the existing plans to phase out life on Earth to no avail. The most famous of these COPs produced the famous Paris Rhetorical Climate Agreement back in 2015, which allowed all countries worldwide to ignore the crisis and continue full steam ahead with business as usual. No country in the world has done anything yet to meet any of the goals of the Paris Rhetorical Agreement, and there were no requirements or consequences to meet those goals or do anything if someone broke them. Even the pledges being made after the Paris Agreement were too weak, and then no one did anything to act on the pledges, according to the UN. If you can't even talk the talk, you're definitely not going to walk the walk. So this week, a brand new report was issued from the United Nations ahead of the COP26 that uses all of the best and latest climate science and rhetorical pledges for the absolutely most accurate picture available for our planet today. It shows current unchecked policies would be heading us to 2.8 degrees Celsius warming, almost double the catastrophic 1.5 degrees Celsius that science has determined needs to be the maximum limit in order to stop phasing out life on the planet. While 2.8 degrees Celsius sounds bad, and it is since it would accelerate phasing out life on the planet, the UN added up all the new stronger rhetorical pledges from governments and politicians around the world which were supposed to be part of the homework for this COP26 meeting in recognition of the increasing threat due to decades of inaction. Unfortunately, only about half of the world was able to turn in its homework ahead of the meeting, and much of it that was turned in was the exact same as 2015's homework. 
after all the calculators stopped and the UN had its triple-checked result of brand-new worldwide pledges, this week's Grand United Nations Carbon Emissions Gap Report stated that politicians' new promises all added up together would take us from a devastating 2.8 degrees Celsius of current policies All of the pledges added up together would bring us down to a catastrophic 2.7 degrees of warming, doing almost nothing to pledge to save humanity, while also offering virtually no actual concrete plans to even follow through on any of these pledges that would knock one-tenth of a degree Celsius off of the trajectory. In short, The COP26 is being talked about as largely not a gathering to decide on whether to phase out the use of fossil fuels, which no one is planning to do anywhere. But instead, it's a meeting more to decide on whether to slow down or continue the existing pace and plan of phasing out most of life and humanity on the planet. Apparently, no large-scale political willingness is available, mostly the small countries and Pacific islands that would suffer the most, the soonest, are speaking out. Well, regardless of the pomp and rhetoric of these pretty speeches that we will report on in the next climate report, it is very important to Biden to politically appear as though something is happening. Though the only things truly politically happening in the U.S. are an immediate reduction in phasing out of much of his climate crisis agenda he was elected to enact. Becoming affectionately known as the last responders, America's now paralyzed Congress is what the climate media is focused on today. Depending on which politician you heard from, Capitol Hill has been in fine form issuing conflicting signals on Biden's climate plans as he rushes out the door, claiming a pseudo victory. Some politicians are claiming everything is fine and victory is in sight. Others of the Democratic Progressive Caucus aren't budging until they say they see the actual text of these proposals written down. No one really knows what America will end up with today, and the political sales pitches are coming hot and heavy. After hurriedly finally announcing what was in his new proposal, his half-as-big reconciliation reconciliation package, with most of the climate plans deflated and largely sent packing by coal Senator Joe Manchin and fossil fuel lobbying power in Congress, Biden actually refused to take any questions before leaving for Europe and the COP, knowing full well that nothing had actually been finalized. No agreement has been made with the fossil fuel-backed obstructionist Democrat senators Manchin or Cinema, and that he was really just needing to say something, anything, remotely, seemingly climate positive, before leaving U.S. soil. For their parts, when explicitly pressed, neither Cinema nor Senator Manchin would say they support the new proposal, nor would they vote for it. Basically, in the news realm, had Biden not been leaving today to go answer to the world on the climate crisis stage, we likely would be hearing nothing at all about these supposed amazing climate details that still may never even see the light of day, as all of this is being negotiated hurriedly behind the scenes and nothing is ready for primetime announcements yet. Today's departure for COP26 for Biden in the White House was essentially a marketing moment and a savvy political marker will spin a victory speech, even though Biden heads off, mostly empty-handed. As part of the Covering Climate Now Global Consortium of News Desks collaborating on climate reporting, let's listen to two different takes on Biden's trip to the COP, one from the Guardian Climate News Desk 
and one from a staff writer at The New Republic. As reported in The Guardian, Biden's plan pledges the largest effort to combat climate change in U.S. history. They say the Biden administration has said a vast spending bill is set to result in the, quote, largest effort to combat climate change in American history, unquote, with hundreds of billions of dollars set to be funneled into supporting clean energy, electric vehicles, and new defenses against extreme weather events. But some key parts of Joe Biden's original climate plan were left out. Following negotiations with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, two centrist Democratic senators who have opposed large portions of the original Build Back Better bill, the White House said it was confident a reduced version of the legislation will be able to pass both houses of Congress and will set the United States on course to meet its climate goals. This proposed announced framework today includes $555 billion in incentives, investments, and tax credits aimed at bolstering the deployment of renewable energy such as solar and wind, as well as a tax break that will deliver up to $12,500 to people who buy an electric car. Most of these proposed incentives still require the ability to purchase cars and solar panels up front, have the tax credit appetite in order to use the incentives. The bill will also, though, help deploy new electric buses and trucks in America, build community resilience to disastrous wildfires and floods that will continue, and employ 300,000 people in a new civilian climate core. In all, the United States said the legislation could cut planet heating emissions by 1 billion tons by the end of the decade and bring the U.S. significantly closer to its goal of slashing carbon pollution in half by the end of this decade. At the press conference held today on Thursday, Biden said the bill will represent the most significant investment to address the climate crisis ever and will truly transform this nation. He said, quote, we are going to get off the sidelines of manufacturing solar panels and wind farms, unquote. He added that the package will help double the number of electric cars on roads within three years, provide 500,000 new EV charging stations across the U.S. for vehicles, And he said, we are once again going to be the innovators. It's a big deal. Biden continued, the weather is not going to get better. It's going to get a heck of a lot worse. It's a blinking code red for America and the world. The legislation has been significantly reduced following objections raised by Manchin and Sinema over its scope. Biden needs, of course, every Senate Democrat to vote for the bill in order to overcome unified Republican opposition to it. But the leftover remaining half-as-big framework still represents the first and largest major attempt by the U.S. to tackle the unfolding climate crisis since 2009. It's a historic day for people in the planet, said Gene Karpinski, president of the League of Conservation Voters. Congress must swiftly pass the Build Back Better Act and send it to President Biden to sign into law. Today, Biden will travel to Europe for crucial U.N. climate talks to be held in Scotland. The U.S. president said it would be very, very positive for the reconciliation bill to pass before the COP26 summit in order to bolster American credibility and help convince other countries to do more to address the catastrophic wildfires, floods, and heat waves increasingly being unleashed by global heating and devastating humanity worldwide. Well, all of this effort to pass legislation has been repeatedly stymied by the objections of Manchin. 
a West Virginia senator with deep ties to the coal industry who managed to strike out of the bill a system that would have phased out fossil fuels from America's electricity grid. This plan itself was responsible initially for a third of the emissions cuts in the original version of the legislation, according to an analysts. That has been removed. The new framework also does not include fees that were expected to be paid by oil and gas producers when they emit methane, a very potent greenhouse gas. Manchin was opposed to this fee in the original bill and also rejected a proposal to include a carbon tax or price on carbon emissions. The EPA, however, is poised to regulate methane emissions through its existing powers. All of these omissions in this new latest proposal mean that the legislation's framework represents a historic investment in clean energy, but doesn't include any mechanisms to reduce fossil fuel usage or even cut subsidies flowing to the oil, coal, and gas companies that have caused the climate crisis. Said Mitch Jones, policy director of Food and Water Watch, given the prime opportunity to cancel billions of dollars in domestic subsidies for oil and gas polluters, the president and congressional leadership have rolled over. A climate plan that fails to directly confront the oil and gas industry cannot possibly be considered meaningful, unquote. Climate experts have, however, pointed out the bill, if passed, would represent a major step forward in acting on the climate crisis while making clear that further emission cuts will be needed to avoid the U.S. and the world spiraling into a barely livable climatic state. Leah Stokes, a climate policy expert at the University of California, Santa Barbara, said it would be great news if the legislation passes because the current climate math is brutal. She tweeted, even if we are lucky enough to get this bill over the finish line, we need more next year. The climate clock is ticking. So again, one of the things to keep in mind when it comes to the climate crisis and, and you hear about reporting on the news, there are two things at play. There's the discussion about ramping up clean energy but subsequently also ramping down the use of fossil fuels. So it's like stepping on the gas with one foot to keep fossil fuel use increasing and production increasing as the Biden administration has, while then at the same time putting your foot on the brake slightly for clean energy. And that's what people oftentimes refer to when they refer to net carbon zero. It's a good analogy to think about. It's like driving a car with your foot half on the accelerator, half on the brake, so that you're still emitting a lot of gas, you're just putting enough brakes on it to get you to stand still. So right now the challenge is what's happened with the climate plan is nothing is being done to slow down fossil fuels. Instead, this is some possible investments in boosting clean energy. Here is a different take. This is from Kate Aronoff, a staff writer at The New Republic and co-author of A Planet to Win, Why We Need a Green New Deal. She writes, is Joe Biden about to show up to COP26 empty-handed? Her piece starts off, after months of bullish rhetoric about the United States climate leadership, the U.S. could still show up to COP26 empty-handed. That doesn't have to be the case. Whatever charismatic obstructionists like Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema have to say about it, the climate certainly isn't waiting on them to change. The UN Emissions Gap Report released this week finds that the world is on track to warm by a catastrophic 2.7 degrees Celsius with policies and pledges in place. 
The White House has pegged its Paris Agreement success on being able to pass an ambitious spending package with plenty of money built in for key climate priorities. In recent weeks, the administration pegged its audacious goal of slashing emissions by half by the end of this decade to something called a Clean Electricity Payments Program, the CEPP. That's out. And even if the compromise $55 billion a year for 10 years of climate spending that the White House promised today makes it through to legislation, carrots for green spending can only go so far. The U.S. will still not have picked up critical sticks needed to go after the polluting industries driving up temperatures. They're desperately needed. According to the U.N.-backed 2021 Production Gap report, the world's governments collectively are on track to produce double the amount of fossil fuels than is consistent with capping warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius. In the United States, oil and gas production are now on track to expand by 17% and 12% respectively just by the end of this decade. The United States showing up in good faith to Glasgow will require it to step on the third rail of both U.S. and global climate politics going after fossil fuels. Those words don't appear in the Paris Agreement itself, but rapidly winding them down is essential to achieving its goals of limiting warming by well below two degrees, with an aspiration repeated frequently by the Biden administration to limit it to just 1.5 degrees, as science has recommended. The Biden administration is also on track to approve more oil and gas drilling on federal lands than any president since George W. Bush. Sadly, this is not the first time Democrats have let us down on climate action. It was just days after the Paris Agreement that the Obama administration quietly repealed the 40-year-old crude oil export ban as part of an omnibus must-pass spending measure in 2015. In the four years after its passage, Crude oil exports from the U.S. expanded by 750%, allowing the U.S. to eventually cross the threshold to becoming a net exporter in the winter of 2020. The same year, the United States was the world's third largest gas exporter. This trajectory is plainly out of step with a livable planet. Indigenous leaders who converged in Washington under the banner of People versus Fossil Fuels earlier this month were joined by 13 members of Congress recently in calling on the administration to use the full extent of its powers to start treating the climate crisis like the emergency it is, putting a stop to fossil fuel expansion. The tools at Biden's disposal, as they note, are enormous. The EPA has the power to stringently regulate carbon dioxide and methane, which it's expected to make steps toward soon. And by declaring a national emergency, Biden could reinstate the crude oil expert ban virtually overnight, stemming the flow of U.S. fossil fuels being burned abroad to make a handful of executives here rich. Such a declaration would unlock the power to finally put the U.S. on a wartime footing to rapidly deploy renewable energy and create millions of union jobs in the process, rather than relying only on piecemeal measures like tax credits. The Department of Energy could reject export permits under the Natural Gas Act. 
The Department of Interior could stop selling below-market-rate leases to drill on our public lands, activity that accounts for roughly a quarter of our country's greenhouse gas emissions. There's plenty of other low-hanging fruit, too. Biden could move to cancel the Line 3 pipeline, along with the Dakota Access Pipeline, Line 5, and the Mountain Valley Pass Pipeline. A recent analysis by Oil Change International, in fact, found that the White House has to prevent 1.6 billion metric tons of emissions per year by rejecting those and another 20 fossil fuel projects. And existing laws like the Clean Water Act and National Environmental Policy Act grant the executive branch broad authority to do so. Internationally, the administration could join the UK and Italy at the G20 this weekend in pushing to phase out coal and formally end overseas financing for all oil and gas projects using the U.S. Export-Import Bank. The State Department could drop its long-standing objections to concrete discussions of loss and damage financing and historical responsibility for rising temperatures at the UN climate talks in Glasgow. Joe Biden and members of his administration have frequently called climate change an existential threat. If the White House wanted to act like that's true and assert real leadership at COP26, it could. That's a piece from Kate Aronoff, a staff writer at The New Republic. Well, let's turn to the other action happening today in regards to Congress and the climate. It's quite a big deal. At the time of our recording for today's show, we still don't have all of the full testimony, but here's what we can tell you. Oil executives are facing a possible turning point on their U.S. congressional hearing on the climate crisis. This report out of Covering Climate Now in the Guardian desk, it says the heads of major oil companies will make a historic appearance before Congress today to answer accusations that their firms have spent years lying about the climate crisis. For the first time, the top executives from the U.S.'s largest oil company, ExxonMobil, as well as Shell, Chevron, and BP, will be questioned under oath about the industry's long campaign to discredit and deny the evidence that burning fossil fuels drove heating. A leading critic of the petroleum industry behind the hearing by the House Oversight Committee, Representative Ro Khanna, said the executive's testimony has the potential to be as significant as the 1994 congressional hearing at which the heads of the big tobacco companies were confronted with the question of whether they knew nicotine was addictive. They denied it. And that lie opened the door to years of litigation, which resulted in a $206 billion settlement against the cigarette makers. Representative Khanna told The Guardian that the oil company chiefs face a similar moment of reckoning today. He said, quote, they've got a very tricky balance. They either have to admit certain wrongdoing or they run the risk of lying under oath. If I were them, I would come in with more of a mea culpa approach and acknowledge what they've done wrong. It'll be a turning point for them. It could be the big tobacco moment. We've never had a situation where the big oil executives have to answer under oath for their company's behavior, unquote. Representative Khanna said that he wanted Americans to take away the message from the hearing that the oil companies knew they lied about the climate emergency. The CEOs, who have opted to testify by video, 
are Darren Woods of Exxon, David Lawler of BP American, Michael Worth of Chevron, and the president of Shell, Gretchen Watkins. The leaders of two powerful lobby groups accused of acting as front organizations for big oil, the American Petroleum Institute and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, will also be forced to testify. Representative Khanna said the oil chiefs will be confronted with evidence of a persistent and coordinated cover-up, including documents that have not been made public before. He said the documents confirm the misinformation and deception that they've engaged in in the past explicitly, and that they continue to engage in through third parties. The record is so clear that they will be risking perjuring themselves if they deny what's in the record. But the hearing will also be a test for whether the oil industry's critics can back up their claims of a sprawling conspiracy by the fossil fuel companies to block action on the climate emergency, an accusation also made in dozens of lawsuits by U.S. states, municipalities, and private organizations. Jeffrey Supran, a research associate at Harvard's Department of History of Science and co-author of a groundbreaking study of Exxon's communications on the climate crisis, said that the oil executives are well-practiced at sidestepping responsibility. He says, quote, this will be a challenging hearing. This is a situation where the historical record is incontrovertible. But the climate denial machine has been like a sprawling, well-oiled, well-funded network for decades. Given the range of actors and tactics involved, asking the right questions at the right time, having the right documents at your fingertips to pin them into a corner is tricky. The hearings today follow the release of a growing body of evidence that the oil industry knew about and then covered up the growing threat from burning fossil fuels for decades. That includes a raft of Exxon documents held at the University of Texas and uncovered by the Columbia Journalism School and the LA Times in 2015. It showed that all the way back in 1979, Almost half a century ago, a study by Exxon's own scientists concluded that burning fossil fuels, quote, will cause dramatic environmental effects in the coming decades. It called the issue great and urgent. Exxon's response to that at the time and similar warnings was to shut down research into global warming and to go on a public relations offensive to discredit climate science is no more than a theory in 2019, Martin Hofford, a professor of physics at New York University, told a congressional hearing that his climate modeling for Exxon in the 1980s showed that burning fossil fuels was increasingly having a perceptible influence on Earth's climate in the 80s. Meanwhile, the company was pushing a different narrative. Said Hofford, Exxon was publicly promoting views that its scientists, its own scientists, knew were wrong. And we knew that because we were the major group working on this, paid by Exxon. This was immoral and has greatly set back efforts to address climate change, said Hoffert. Other oil firms face similar accusations alongside trade groups and think tanks they funded to deny climate science. Well, lastly, in some late breaking news, while all eyes are on Congress with the reconciliation package and Joe Biden's climate agenda in the balance, 
as well as oil executives in front of Congress, China has announced just days before the COP26 their new long-awaited national updated plans on tackling the climate crisis. The plan revealed today represents little progress on their previously announced ambitions of what is now the world's biggest carbon emitter, disappointing observers of the vital climate talks. China has announced that they continue to plan to increase their carbon emissions and not peaking until the end of the decade. Whereas science has said that we need to cut emissions in half by the end of the decade, Right now, China is planning to continue full steam ahead until 2030 and then reducing the net zero decades later, which is too late, according to scientists. So uh, the hopes that a new Chinese contribution would be a major mood booster in the run up to the Glasgow summit were always likely to be misplaced. But the official word is in and China is still planning to blow the roof out of their carbon emissions through the rest of the decade. That's all for today's Climate Report, broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts and post-show links to today's news, you can find the Climate Report page on Facebook. Feel free to also email climatereport at kvmr.org.